Amen. Looking forward to that day. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. You know, I'm sometimes uh, just amazed at how God orchestrates things. I know that there are certain church traditions that um, they schedule out everything just so. You know, the, the, the music uh, leader schedules the, the special singing and the, picks out the songs and, and all that goes right along with the message. Everything's all coordinated. And, and uh, I don't think it's a bad thing way. It's different than the way we usually do things. I don't think that's bad. I, I, God likes things done decently and in order. I don't have a problem with that. But I kind of like the way we do things. Just allows that if the message isn't all the same, if the uh, if uh, it just allows for there to be potentially three or four different messages that hopefully everybody will get something out of it. But every once in a while, God just coordinates it all. And uh, found it interesting. The special this this morning mentioned about like the prophet. A pillow for a stone, uh, a stone for a pillow, or I forget just how the songwriter wrote it. But we're going to be reading about that this morning. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter 28. We're going to be read, uh, begin reading in verse 10, and we'll finish. We'll finish out the chapter. I'd really like to read the first five verses too, but we'll, we'll, we'll just start with verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba toward Haran, and delighted upon the place, and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place, and put them for his pillows, in that place, sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is nothing but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and took the stone that he put for his pillows, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. 
And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way, that I will go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thankful for the truth of it. Thankful, Lord, that we can find strength and comfort and wisdom from it. We just ask that you would anoint these lips of clay one more time, that we might rightly divide the word of truth, and that you'd be glorified and honored in it. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On August the 7th, Taylor Smith made a decision in a moment. An impulsive decision. A decision that she didn't think about. She didn't consider the consequences or ramifications of her decision. But in a moment, she made a decision that will affect the rest of her life. You see, on August 7th, her and some of her friends had gathered on a bridge that was over 50 feet above a river. And her friend Jordan stood on the edge of that bridge wanting to jump but afraid to jump. And Taylor made a decision to help her friend and pushed her. Jordan screamed all the way down, as you can imagine. She was not prepared to be pushed. She was not ready for the jump. And she belly flopped. A 50-foot belly flop. She was bruised, five broken ribs, and a punctured lung. Jordan, of course, had to go, uh, go to the hospital. Taylor tried to visit, but they wouldn't let her. And uh, this week, authorities have decided to press charges on reckless endangerment. And she could face 364 days in jail and a $5,000 fine for a decision she made in a moment. In a moment. And her friend Taylor has said that the friendship is over and the relationship is broken by a decision. By a decision that Taylor made. Now, I've come to understand that there are two different kinds of people in this world. The first kind of people are strong in mercy and they feel bad for Taylor. This decision that she made wasn't made in order to try to hurt her friend. She wasn't trying to, she was just trying to encourage her friend to jump and when she, her friend didn't have the courage that she thought she needed. And so some of us kind of feel bad for Taylor. And there's others who are a little stronger in justice. And some are saying, you Man, I hope, she gets, I hope she gets every single day in jail. I hope she gets every dollar fine. I, 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 she's, got, she's got to know she can't do that. 
some would, some of some of us that are mercy, are, are, are uh, I'm sorry, not mercy, but I mercy. That's that's my nature. I'm, I tend towards mercy, but those of us that are toward, tend towards justice probably even think that she got off a little easy. Jordan thinks so. Her friend that is hurt, she, she's like, I could have been killed. I, I wish she'd get longer so she could learn. But she's 18 years old. She has a lot to learn. And we all have a lot to learn, don't we? But those of us that would, that would be strong in, in justice perhaps would say, she made her bed, she needs to lie in it. Whatever you think about Taylor and her decision and her actions, I think we all can agree that where we find Jacob, Jacob's made this mess. He's stolen the, the birthright. He's, or you say, he didn't really steal it. He, you know, he got his brother to sell it for soup. So whether he stole it or not, whether you're, whatever your feelings on that is, but he certainly stole the blessing. I don't think anybody would argue that. And Esau wants to kill him. He wants to kill him. This is the inheritance. And now Esau has his, he's waiting. He wants to wait until dad's gone. But he's got his bow and his arrow ready. Every time that Jacob, he sees Jacob, he's sharpening an arrow to sending the message. Now Jacob's fleeing for his life. And it's late at night. He's, it's getting, it, he's, I don't think he's prepared for this trip. He left in a hurry. He's a fugitive. He doesn't have, he didn't bring home the luxuries of home. He didn't, bring, he didn't bring his pillow. He didn't bring anything with him. Now he's on this trip. And it's, he's getting toward the city of Luz, but it's too late. The gates are going to be closing. And he's, he's going to lie on a cold, hard ground with stone as his pillow. He's made his bed. He's going to lie in it. It's not a very comfortable bed, is it? As I think about Jacob and about him laying on that cold, hard ground, I think about how often we've been there. How often we've been there. Sometimes it's our fault. We've made the dumb decision. Impulsive decision, perhaps. Or maybe it was one we thought long and hard. How many of us have thought long and hard and planned for a purchase and you buy the thing and then it turns out it's not as wonderful as you thought it was going to be? We've done that a few times. I had a, we were, I was needing a new computer for, for school, for, for my master's program, and 
I had a friend that told me, you've got to get the new touchscreen. You've, you've, you've got to have the new touchscreen. You're going to really want that. It's where everything's going. So I paid the extra for the touchscreen on my laptop. I'll be honest, I almost never use the touchscreen on my laptop. I have Windows 10, and I still rarely use the touchscreen on my laptop. I could have saved a couple hundred dollars probably. But... This friend really encouraged, if you're going to go in and get a computer, you, gotta, you, you might as well go all in. So I did. Was that my fault? Yeah, it's my fault. I made the decision. But it's, some decisions are bigger than that, aren't they? And some consequences are bigger than that. And we've all, whether it was impulsive or whether it was thought out, all of us have joined Jacob on the cold, hard ground of difficulty. Difficulty. Jacob has had his comfort denied. There's no luxuries from home. He's, he's, not, a, he's not the kind of guy who who's probably used to sleeping on the ground. He's, a, he's been his mom's cook and helper around. and Yeah, he tended sheep, and so maybe he spent a night or two out with his sheep. I don't know. But I don't, think that, I don't think that he was that kind of guy. I think he was a little more pampered. And there's no luxuries from home. Have you ever been there where there's been no comfort? Nothing can make it better. I hate it when my wife gets like that, guys. I'm just going to be honest. I remember one time, we, were, we hadn't been married only a year or so, she started crying. And I said, why are you crying? It goes, I don't know. <laughs> If you don't know, then how am I supposed to fix it? <laughs> and I know, ladies, don't fix it. I know, I know. I didn't know then, but I, uh, but I know now. But how am I supposed to fix it if she doesn't know? I did fix it, actually, by the way. I just, just to throw that out there, a little rabbit trail, I did fix it. I called her dad and said, here, you deal with it. <laughs> and he got her laughing. So that, was, that fixed it. <laughs> but sometimes there's just no comfort. Whether you know or don't know why you're go going through what you're going through, sometimes there's nothing that can comfort you. There's no solace anywhere. Jacob, Jacob's laying there on cold, hard ground, his head on a stone, listening to the sounds of the darkness and wondering if one of those breaking branches or breaking uh, sticks on the ground or that noise that he heard over there is Esau stalking him. 
Esau's a hunter. He knows how to track. There's no comfort tonight. How do you sleep like that? I've never had anybody trying to kill me. I never, ever had someone try to do that. But here, here he is. No comforts. He has no companion. You know, it's, misery loves company, doesn't it? I mean, if you're going to be miserable, at least be miserable with me. You know, it's, if, if things are rough and terrible, just say, you know, that's really rough. That's really terrible. I really feel for you. That's nice when people will say that. It's nice when someone says, you know, this is miserable, but let's be miserable together. At least somebody agrees with me. Misery likes company. Nobody likes to be miserable all by themselves. I mean, if things are falling apart and things are, are terrible and you're sitting at home and there's nobody that cares about it, it's a horrible place to be. Have you ever been in, in a situation where you didn't feel like you could talk to anybody about it? Nobody would understand. Nobody would care. I remember that Trish and I one time walked through a dark, dark valley by ourselves. And we just felt like we couldn't talk to anybody about it. We couldn't share with anybody what we were facing, what we were going through. We felt like it was too personal, too private. We felt like others wouldn't understand. And, and I remember even thinking that there were some that probably would think that we didn't have the right to feel as bad as we did. You know, we've went through worse things than that. There have been worse battles and worse trials that Trish and I have faced, but I often think about that, that, one, that one time especially where I fe we felt like we were by ourselves. That there was no one to join us in our suffering. Worst trials that we faced where we felt like there were others that came alongside of us and said, we want you to know we're praying for you. We want you to know we're in your corner. We, we want you to know we believe in you. But that one, that one trial, where we were all alone, in some ways feels the worst. Feels like it was one of our worst trials, just simply because we had no companions. No one could join us in our suffering. And I think maybe the worst of all, Jacob had no certainty. He has no security at all. He has no hope for his future. He's 77 years old, and he is not married. He has no job. He has no house. He has no prospects. Talk about a bum, huh? 77 has been living off mom and dad and hasn't gotten married. Come on, Jacob. <laughs> we'd, think that, we'd think poorly of him, wouldn't we? And here he is. He's on his way to Uncle Laban's house. And do you know what? We don't even know if he's ever met Uncle Laban. I mean, they're 500 miles away. It's not like they even had mail. Do they, does he even know Uncle Laban is alive? 
There's no promises of anything that's going to happen. No, nothing's good is, is promised him in this moment. All he knows is he's running for his life and he's hoping his mom's family will somehow take him in. And maybe he could do something there to earn his keep. But he's basically going and asking for a free ride. Hoping that because we're family, that they'll take him in. Not even certain. You know what, folks? They could have moved for all he knows. They don't, he doesn't know anything. He just knows that mom said that this is where my brother lives or did live when I left home 80 years ago. Maybe there was mail through a traitor. Maybe. But we never read of Isaac ever going up there. Jacob's laying there with no security at all. And do you know, it's one of the needs that we don't mention. We often, we talk about food and water and so house and you know, shelter. But one of the most basic needs that we have as humans is security. How much money do we spend on insurance? We insure our house and our boats and our motorcycles. We, we, our cars, our, uh, we insure our lives. We, I mean, we, we just insure... We insure our health. We in, I mean, we just insure everything, don't we? It's security. Nothing wrong with insurance. It's a basic human need. It meets, a, it meets something that we have to have. We want, most of us probably have enough food in our house that if push came to shove, we could last a while on what we have. It wouldn't be very healthy, perhaps. Maybe need some bread and some milk to supplement. But if, if push comes to shove, we've got enough in our freezers and our pantries that we could, be okay. we could live. We'd survive for a while. Security is important. Security is important. Jacob has no security at this point. None. And then Jacob has a dream. Do you put stock in your dreams? I think that's an important question because I think most of us, if we had this dream right now, we'd probably just be like, well, that was cool. <laughs> hey, honey, let me tell you about this really crazy dream I had. We, our, our attitude toward dreams is, is, is pretty much, you know, they just are. You know, and man, it, if you remember them, you're like, wow, that was bizarre. Or that was terrifying. Or pick, your, pick whatever adjective. But, but give us a few hours and we won't even remember what it was unless it really terrified us too much. Most of the time we just forget about it. Jacob has a dream. Now the King James calls it a ladder. And I think that's kind of unfortunate that he does. The original Hebrew word is never used again in Scripture. This is the only place it's ever used. So guess what? We don't even have other context to help us. I think that 
that probably a, a better understanding is, is a, perhaps a staircase. It's not like a ladder with rungs. I, I, don't, think that was, I don't think that's uh, what's being signified here. It could have been a ramp. Um, God had them build ramps up to the altars. So it could have been a ramp, but, it's, it, but we're not exactly sure what it is. I think staircase is probably, probably the best picture that we have. I, w- I wouldn't pick, picture a, a ladder with rungs. It maybe was that, but we really don't know. Again, crazy Hebrew word never used again in Scripture. But Jacob has this dream of, of the staircase that leads to heaven. And angels are going up and down on it. And God is standing at the top of it. And this is a weird dream. This is a really weird dream. One of the reasons I think that it's weird is because up to this point, we don't really have dreams being significant in Scripture. It seems like God spoke directly to Abraham. It didn't seem like God spoke in dreams to Abraham. God didn't speak in dreams to Noah. At least that's not what Scriptures reveal. This is, as far as that I, that I can remember, this is the first time a dream has any significance in Scripture. Here's this ladder, and God, uh, angels going up and down on it, and God standing at the top. And God speaks directly to him. And what I find amazing about this, this dream is all about revelation. First, God reveals himself. That he's present with him. I told you he had no companions. God says, you know what? Jacob, I want you to know you're not alone. You know, it's so important. So important for us to remember that we're not alone. Whether we've made our own bed and have to lie in it, or whether it's not our fault at all, I'm so thankful that God gets in our beds with us. Even when it's our fault... When everybody else is saying, you made your bed, lie in it, God says, you know what, I'll let me jump in bed with you. You're not going to have to, you made it, but you made this mess, I'm just going to get in there with you. Oh, that we'd have more people that do that with, for us. Even in the midst of it being our own fault and our own decisions and our own bad choices, that people would say, you know what, you blew it, but that's all right, let me come alongside you. Let me help you. Dads that are raising boys and even daughters, you might want to remember that. Our kids are going to make bad choices. Hopefully not sinful choices, but they're going to make bad choices, maybe even sinful choices. How often are we willing to sit with them in the bed they made? Oh, that God would help us. God says, I want you to know I'm present with you even in this mess you made, Jacob. And what's great, God doesn't even say that. God doesn't even say this is the best you made. And you're <laughs> God just says, I want you to know I'm here. I'm here. I'm not going to rub your nose in it. I'm not going to pile on. You're already going through enough. I just want you to know I'm right here. 
I'm right here in the middle of the mess. I, I, folks, I just, it's so powerful and meaningful to me that God gets in the middle of the messes I make. When I've been at fault, when I've been guilty, when I've been the one who's been unwise, when I've made the impulsive decision, when I failed, when others would look at it and say, what a fool he was, God says, let me just sit in here with you. Doesn't mean Jacob didn't have to live with the consequences of his choice. He did have to live with the consequences. He was away from home a long time. He did have to live with the consequences of his choices. But God said, wherever you go, in the midst of all of this consequence, I'm going to sit here with you in the middle of your consequence. I remember Dennis was just a tot, I don't know, maybe two, three years old. And we were at my mother's house, and he'd done something. I don't, I don't remember what it was. But we decided to put... Dennis in the corner. He needed to go in the corner for whatever it was. And my mom, who is all about justice and very little mercy, until she became a grandparent. I've told you, I think becoming a grandparent is a mental illness. <laughs> my mom decides that she go first. She she d tried to defend Dennis and, and tried. Oh, he's not that bad. I said, Mom, you are much harder on us than we ever were on uh, are on Dennis. She went and got in the corner beside him and stood in the corner because Dennis was in the corner. So after a little bit, I let Dennis out, but I told Mom she had to stay in. <laughs> She didn't listen. <laughs> it's a powerful thing to be present with somebody in the midst of their trouble. Even when it's their own fault. And God said, I'm going to be present with you in the midst of your consequence. I'm not taking the consequence away. I just want you to know I'm going to be present in the midst of it. He didn't bail him out of jail. He sat in jail with him. It's amazing to me. God said, you know what? I want you to know that I'm <laughs> I want you to know I'm standing above all this. He's standing above the staircase to heaven. He's standing up there and all these angels going up and down and, God, and he's just saying to Jacob, listen buddy, I'm in control of all this mess. You made this mess, but I'm still in control. All these angels that are going up and down, they're doing my bidding. Whatever I, I say to this angel, go and do this, and they go down the staircase and they go do on earth whatever it is that I told them to do. And this angel comes back up and says, I did what you told me to do. What's the next thing, boss? And he tells them what to do, and he goes on and does what he needs to do. Out, up and down, these angels are, are getting orders and following orders. And God's standing above it all in complete control. Jacob, in the middle of all this, I want you to know I'm still in control. I'm in complete control. Don't worry about it. And I says, you know what? I'm going to make some promises to you. And God makes a boatload of promises. Folks, Jacob doesn't deserve them. 
I'm going to say something pretty bold here. Jacob's not even saved. He's, how many sins has he committed just recently? He's not serving God at all. In fact, he even says so when he gets up. He says, if God fulfills all these promises, then he will be my God. He's not even serving God at this point. He's not even playing the hypocrite. He's not, he's not going through any, any kind of, of, of notions of serving God. He's not even taking steps towards God. God is jumping in and saying, you know what? I'm, I want to see you make it, and so I'm going to make you all these promises. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to give you this land that you're sleeping on right now. I'm going to take you back home to Father's house. I'm going to give you all these promises. And Jacob says, wow, I'm not even serving you. But if you do, if you keep your promises, I will serve you. And I will pay my tithe. And I will do what I'm supposed to do. I so wish Jacob would have gotten things settled right now. If Jacob would have gotten things settled, he, he wouldn't, because he's going to go and sin some more in Uncle Laban's house. He's going to try to cheat his uncle out of, out of his sheep and out of his goats. Jacob's not done trying to deceive and cheat and swindle. And it even seems like perhaps that he even started worshiping some of the false gods in Uncle Laban's house. So much so that Rachel felt like she needed to steal them and take them with her. He wasn't the godly leader of his home that he should have been. He could have solved a lot of problems getting saved right then and there. But in the midst of it all, God keeps his promises. God will keep his promises. Whether we live up to what we're, our side or not, God will keep his promises. Jacob wakes up, and guess what? His problems are still there. His problems haven't gone away. God hasn't come in and taken all away all of his problems. He's, but he wakes up and he realizes he's been where God is. Now, this is a little hard for you and me because we know that God is everywhere and we recognize that, that we can call on God anywhere, but this is not the way it's always been. That was not the way it was understood. I'm going to speak to the, to the younger people. Some of you older people won't get this illustration. I hope you will. But our cell phones are really great when you can find a hotspot, right? Right? You can find a hotspot. You can get on people's Wi-Fi's and they'll have free at McDonald's or Burger King or other places. And you can get on these hotspots and have internet. That's kind of how they viewed God in those days. You had to get in a hotspot. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to where God had revealed himself in the past. There was, it was kind of believed that there were these thin places but where heaven and earth kind of met at these, these certain intersections. And Jacob wakes up and he realizes he's been at a hot spot. And he's terrified because when you go to a hot spot, a heavenly hot spot, you were to go with reverence and you were to go holy you could be killed by the presence of God. All those angels going up and down could kill you. 
That's why the priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, had a rope tied around his foot so that if he was struck dead, that they could pull him out because they couldn't go in after him. That's why when God was thundering and, and earthquaking and making his big scene there on Mount Sinai, that there was a fence put up and any animals or any people that would approach the mountain, would touch the mountain, they were to be killed. These hot spots were holy places. And Jacob wakes up and realizes he should be dead. He's not holy. And he's not reverenced this place. It's hard for us to understand that. It's not something we connect with. But he makes this terrible discovery that he has been in what he believes is the, is the gate to heaven. And he thinks this is the gate to heaven, not one of many gates, but the gate to heaven, where if the angels go up and down, this is the, this is the place. This is the, one, the most holy of hot spots. And he's not dead. Do you know that Jesus references this story? Most of us have read it many times and we don't re even realize it. John chapter 1. Jesus has begun calling his disciples. Nathaniel uh, is under the fig tree and I think it's Philip that ca calls him. says, come and see. And so he comes before Jesus and, and Jesus says to him, a true Israelite in whom there's no guile. He says, how do you know me? He says, I saw you under the fig tree. He goes, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I mean, he gets it. This is the first time anyone calls Jesus the son of God. I mean, it, I mean it's right fast. First time after perhaps John the Baptist at the baptism. So I, but this, this awareness immediately. And Jesus marvels. He says, you, you recognize me as the Son of God just simply because I, saw you, I told you I saw you under the fig tree? He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Folks, the great discovery that Jacob saw was that this was a holy place. But the great discovery for us is that Jesus is the staircase. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Jesus is the one who intersects earth and heaven. Jesus is the one who mediates between the Father and us. Jesus is the bridge. And it's by and through Christ that God's will is accomplished on earth. In the middle of our despair, in the middle of the times when we're sleeping on cold, hard ground with a rock as our pillow, may we remember that Jesus is the staircase. He is our, 
He is our access to the heavenly throne. Our access to the Father. I haven't gotten a chance to go down yet. I hope to. But I understand that in the southwest there are some beautiful deserts. I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But I have been told that, it, that they're very beautiful. But what's interesting about deserts, especially the deserts in our southwest, is that overhead flies both buzzards and hummingbirds. Now, buzzards, they look down on those deserts and all they see is rotting flesh. That's what they look for. That's what they're hungry for. And everywhere they look, their eyes are looking for dead things. But the hummingbird who flies over the same desert they see all the beautiful flowers on the cacti. You know, their hunger drives them to the flower, to where there's life. And a lot of times we see, just like the buzzard and the hummingbird, we see what we're after. We see what we're looking for. You want to see division and problems and difficulty? You can find them. You can even find those, perhaps even in our church, if you want to look for those things. You'll find what's dead and rotten and smelly, if that's what you're looking for. You'll find that in your life. In the story of your life, you've, you can find the rejection and the shame and, and the missed opportunities, and you can just feast on all of that dead, rotten stuff. Or you can look for what's beautiful. You can look for what's right. You can look for those times that people have helped you in your time of need. You can think of those times that, where there's been blessing that you didn't deserve, when God stood by you when no one else would. It's all in what you're hungry for. What's in your heart? Are you looking at the problems? When Jacob went to bed, all he could see was bad things. But when he woke up, all he could really think about was the glory of God. Oh, that God would each give each one of us a vision of the glory of God and that he would put within our hearts such a longing and desire that all we could see are the beautiful flowers in the desert. Let's stand together. Amen.